all the women were sucked up into flying saucers and mechanical doubles were sent back to Earth to take their place. Uh, did any of them mention a leader named Zardoz? Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Everybody. All right, it's time for one fucking hour. Uh, I am Evan Husney, joined, of course, to my left by Tom Fitzgerald. Tom? Howdy. <laughs> and to my right, Marcus Herring. Yeah. How's it going? Hey, good evening, guys. How's it going? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's going good, good, eh? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, <clears throat> all right, so we're back. We're back to it here. So, uh, Thanks, everybody, for uh, checking out last week's episode, One Fucking Hour on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was a lot of fun. And oh, for all God. The awesome feedback we got on that, too, by the way. I appreciate everybody checking that out. Um, but it's a different 1974 movie this week, everybody. It is our first double dip. We're looking at uh, John Borman's science fiction bizarro flick, uh, Zardoz. So uh, I'm going to start the uh, clock. Double dip because we did Deliverance already, right? That's the, uh, the double sure. double. Yes. That is the it's the film of. right before Zardoz, you know. Right. So here we go. Picking up where we left off with old Borman. So, all right. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, last week when we mentioned we were doing this uh, for this week's episode, we uh, had all, I think all three of us had not seen this movie in a long time. I think it's been, I know for me, probably over about 10 years since I'd seen it last. At and, least for um, me, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. And, and, and Marcus, you, you, you were just a huge fan of the trailer to Zardoz. And some, well, yeah. You know, we, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that when I remember, like, everyone's laughing because we, like, we when we were laughing with each other when we were uh, getting back together to do this episode, after we'd already said we were going to do Zardoz and we, we, we watched it, everyone's like, are we going to be able to... Uh, is this, are we gonna be able to talk about this for an hour? But I, I think that it's a. I mean, like I, I the way I remember this movie in my mind is I think of the trailer because the trailer is so like that's what I when I thought about like let's you know let's be a good movie to do. I well, I'm remembering the trailer. The trailer has so much promise for it. Maybe we could just check that out. Maybe kind of as a good like table. It's it's one of the the big wicked ass trailers of the '70s. Uh, let's thread it up. Okay, let's do it. Uh, let's check out the trailer to Zardoz. Uh, here it's one of those trailers that's like, uh, you know, well, it's better than the film. And uh... awesome titles, by the way, right off the top. Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. The gun is good. I mean, right off the top, just. Excellent imagery. You're you're sucked into whatever the hell this is going to be. There's so much WTF going on. Yeah, it's very mysterious. Yeah, I mean... In the stone head. I don't know. It is the only path and passage into the vortex. You will show me how you come to be here. It's kind of like you're watching this going like, how are they going to possibly... Make a movie out of this. How's, the, how's this all going to fit together? Mm-hmm. Like, sure, you know. But then you watch the movie and you're kind of like, oh, that, oh okay. That's how. <laughs> it almost feels like someone's modern take on a Tolkien or something. If, if, if there's anything relatable that this imparts. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, um, all, yeah, all the, the text is so good. This trailer is done by a friend of ours, actually. Yeah, do tell. Um, so yeah, this this uh, one of the great uh, one of our old buddies from uh, the theater days, Pablo Ferro, who's sort of like the number one of the number one title designers of all time. He did the Doctor Strange Love titles and um, all kinds of movie titles. He was sort of like another Saul Bass, like another number one title designer in the sixties and seventies and, and beyond. And uh, he also did trailers, like he did the Clockwork Orange trailer, which is another trailer where like. The trailer is as good as the movie, you know, the, uh, the sort of the, the William Tell Overture one. And um, so he did this trailer, too, and it's got some of his hallmarks with, like, the text coming at you. Like, his old commercials have that same kind of trick. And 
all the a lot of visual ideas like that kind of globe thing that, let's maybe watch the let's yeah, let me that, like visual that, let's do visuals on the last part just yeah like that's not even or, that, those shots aren't in the movie those this this thing that's not even in the movie like he made those for the uh for the trailer and he's shooting right. i remember asking him about that he said that he's he shot it off of like a one of those giant searchlight like lenses you know and um anyway so he's just a really cool trailer guy <laughs> very hip creative guy and uh, you know you've seen um, the ripoff of his Doctor Strange love titles like everywhere, like super thin, super tall and thin, uh, and also fat and thin. You know, like that style. Stop making sense. He also did those titles, and uh, you know that's another example yep. of, of the Pablo uh, font kind of that he hand drew there. That stuff. All that still stuff. Good. He would, yeah, all that yeah. stuff is him. Yeah, he's a major cool. talent. Um, he passed away a few years ago. Yeah, so you watch that trailer and you're like, wow, how could that possibly – this movie looks fucking incredible. Like, i got to watch it right away. Like and next to Holy Mountain or something. Mind. Yeah, yeah, it looks like another Holy Mountain, but it's like, wow, it's a Holy Mountain from, you know, England or whatever. And uh, <laughs> uh, But then, yeah, so upon rewatching it, you know, it's uh, – well, you know, it doesn't me, quite live up to the trailer maybe, but um, – <laughs> Well, if I may just say in, in terms of, you know, you know uh, looking at Deliverance was our, the first movie – you know, we watched for one fucking hour, and I think it w- one of the reasons I thought it would be interesting for you know to for us to talk about here is that what a weird follow up to a big hit. I it's know. one of the more bizarre, singular freak out follow ups, uh, overzealous freak outs to a hit movie. And I know that's something we've talked about before on the show, but that's yeah. what fascinated me about it. Like you make this movie Deliverance, that's a cultural phenomenon totally different from this and then you just like totally uh spiral out into whatever the fuck this it, is it, it, unexpected to say the least in fact if i had no idea i wouldn't think it was the same director i mean uh, deliverance yeah i'd forgotten that it was our very first uh one fucking hour and we're mm-hmm. such huge fans i mean i just love that movie to death and part of it is the restraint and the simplicity of all of it and <laughs> that's one of the, the differences uh with uh, this film um, um uh, zardoz and actually um I think I'm going to coin this term. Um, this was Borman's Magnolia. Um, I'm going to call them Magnolias from now on. And if I can, I'll talk about the phenomenon. You know, and it's pretty obvious what it is. It happens all the time. Uh, a director really makes it big and makes a huge impression. And then they make a, a really ambitious thing, the film they always wanted to make. You know, the, and, they, and they often know that this is the only chance they'll have to get a blank check. So Boogie Nights begats Magnolia. Then what often happens, by the way, is that there's a really small, quirky film with a small budget uh, following it to the Punch Drunk Love. So PTA is almost a perfect example, but there's more. There's um, just a few more. Is uh, um, Hey, I made The Godfathers. Now I'm going to make Apocalypse Now. And it's unwieldy and it took forever and it's expensive. And then he does One from the Heart. And then I'll just do one more. It's uh, like Taxi Driver made a huge impact, uh, Scorsese. Huge. And then he's like, I got to make New York, New York, unwieldy, yeah. huge, flawed, strange, muddled, you know, um, you know, and then he kind of grounds himself with uh, Raging Bull, which is a great grounding film. But that was his Magnolia. Scorsese's Magnolia is New York, New York. So anyway, this is Borman's Magnolia. And um, what's weird, I got to say, is that Borman double dipped on, on his Magnolias because he followed Zardoz with Exorcist to the Heretic. <laughs> yeah so it's like what are you doing buddy <laughs> you know what i mean like that's not how it works you know or more to the point what stu- or more to the point what studio hired him for the sequel for one of the biggest films of the t- of the era and 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 he you know after seeing zardoz like guys watch zardoz and are you sure you want Borman? <laughs> well i was gonna say i was gonna say oh is is, is uh exorcist 2 uh his punch drunk love uh but anyway, let's. No, it's not. I, it's no, another. He double dipped on his magnolias. Yeah, I don't no, think Excalibur is that great either. I remember watching that. Like you know, it's been about twenty years or something. But I remember it being very snoozy. You know, um, he, he might have triple dipped. He's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, think, like, there's a little bit of insight there. Like I think, and just as uh, like I guess after Deliverance was a well, after Deliverance was a big hit, he could do whatever he wanted, right? And I, I kind of stumbled upon it by accident, like what he was actually trying to do and how he ended up with Zardoz. Because when we're watching, this movie's got a, 
all this tension with like the immortals, right? And like the problems of that immortal people have because they uh, they can't die, right? And like what that does to their psyche, et cetera. And it was sounding a lot like the elves in Lord of the Rings to me because they they are this immortal race, and it kind of gets into that a little bit in the Tolkien about like the problems of being like immortal. And um, and uh, then I when I looked it up, I was like, oh, he actually uh, Borman was trying to do Lord of the Rings before right. Zardoz, right? Yeah. And so like, um. Anyway, I, I, well, so yeah, that's why there's like a Merlin, a Merlin wizard in this, and like Gandalf, and then you know Excalibur. He's got yeah. wizards on the brain, I guess. So. And to be clear, just so everybody knows, like John Borman uh, uh, wrote his own script, and uh, unlike Deliverance, which had really great source material, uh, and and I think that's one of the uh, dings, one of the flaws of Zardoz, bringing it kind of down from being a really huge epic classic is that um, it would have been great if somebody had, had some, uh, like a fresh set of eyeballs were on his screenplay. Like there was a couple guy, like a pro or something, because I think there's some big screenplay problems. So well, we're right. definitely maybe gonna if he'd get done like that. a classic sci-fi book or some, adapted something instead yeah. of like going right. out. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic mistake. Forgot my spray bottle. Um, the uh, <laughs> thing I was gonna say, just let's just take it back a step to talk about the context. Um, you know, you, you mentioned After Deliverance, uh, he makes a smash, super smash hit. He's hot as shit. It's in blank check mode. I don't know if you guys know this, but this is this is funny to me. Do you know what he was actually offered to direct and turn down before developing the Lord of the Rings thing? Uh, I'm going to guess that it's a wildly successful movie. The Exorcist won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard that. Yeah. 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 And, then he and, got another bite at the apple later. Yeah, he like, sure did. Look but what he, he did to it. Yeah, but he 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 turned it down, called it repugnant, and said that it would be like torturing a child for two hours. But he couldn't, and right. I, I couldn't do that. But so it's funny that of course he'd go on to do the sequel, of course. But seriously, no. I mean, but Borman's capable of making really great movies. Uh, you know, he is well in his Point Blank. I was going to say Point Blank is Deliverance. you know five star movie. You know, um, you know, and 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 you know we're going to talk a lot about this with Zardoz. Um, you know, it's it is a fascinating movie, and I think that is what kind of makes it interesting to talk about because it's so singular and obtuse, and only could have existed probably in 1974. Um, and I think let's just spend a minute here talking about the context in which this movie is is being birthed in, uh, because I think that <clears throat> out of the late 60s into the 70s, with a lot of these directors, big big name directors, I think there was a lot of 2001 envy kind of going around where they saw Kubrick step forward, make this just giant space epic that was big and heady. And then he's, and then, you know, a director like Borman stepping in and literally in this case, like I want to make a big floating heady, you know, in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) With an obtuse script and it kind of falls apart and like, like it, it doesn't even have like a, like a full consciousness narrative, you know, it starts disintegrating and, but 2001, it works. It's very, very cool. You know, it doesn't always work here. Yeah, the idea of, for Zardoz is like bigger than the budget, right? So it's like he couldn't. Make it was a really it. small budget, actually. Yeah, yeah. But they did. Like, yeah, like it looks pretty man. good for a very small budget. You know, yeah. it does totally seem like fun. a classic problem when people like uh, try to do too big an idea for their budget. Like it just never. It's always. I, I don't awful. think it's the budget. I think it's the script is over stuff. Like I think they got away with visualizing the, the conceptions and the ideas and themes. But I think it's just overstuffed. And he even says that in the commentary. It's like, like basically like, whoop, boy, here's another idea I've just thrown onto the pile, you know, and it's like there's almost not enough time for the, the ones, the older ideas to marinate in, the, in a person's brain. You know, it's just That's it's definitely overstuffed. True. There's it's too many ideas at once. It's like everything at once. Like H.G. Yeah, Wells and Tolkien and Huxley and, you know, King Arthur is all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and the other contextual element that's going into this movie as uh, he's putting it together is the fact that he is, you know, uh, under the spell of a lot of drugs while both writing and directing this film and says, you know, like you said in the commentary, there's even passages that he's not even sure what he meant, uh, you know, looking back 20, 25, 30 years later, uh, mainly due to the to to the drug haze that he was in. I sort of equate that to like, you know, Stephen King doesn't remember full novels he yeah. wrote, you know, uh, being under a similar right. sort of headspace. And this, I mean, imagine like writing, producing, directing, and creating a, a giant film like this and just mm-hmm. not remembering where or what you were going for, you know? Like, so uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, what did Krusty the Clown say when you watched uh, 60s footage of him? You know, what was I on? You know, yeah. like that's a... Uh, 
that's a that seems to be a bit of a thing about that era. Actually, let's speak about an era where a director like that would be zonked out of his out of his fucking mind Please. and making a, an ambitious project. You know, I'm calling it like the far out era. And we just addressed how um, it's not I wouldn't say it's it's directly and also not directly influenced by 2001. I think 2001 is is one of the first far out films. And then it happened sci fi films. And then it happened and they were sort of tolerated by the studio and audiences and critics to some varying level. Like it was actually like uh, you could do a film like Zardoz back then in the context uh, it's because it's after 2001, but it's um, uh, before Star Wars. And then it right. was like a light switch, you know, and it was never the same. And I think it wasn't really so much that uh, 2001 uh, brought that in, but it was the 2001 heralded in that this is a new era because again, it's the baby boomers and, um, you know, everybody's on acid, you know, the whole, the old story, you know, and like Jimi Hendrix is like a pop star, he makes, you know, mind blowing, insane music, you know what I mean? Like different times. So mm-hmm. you could see Azardas existing. And there are other examples of films uh, like that. There's um, science Phase fiction four. specifically. Phase four, sure. Um, the man, um, well, the man who fell to earth, actually. I just thought of that. That's, that's one. And then totally. also, um, yeah. And then also just, just a couple more, like if you'll indulge me, this one called Savages by James Ivory. Uh, and it was written by Michael O'Donoghue, Mr. Mike from SNL. It's from 1972. Wow. It is far out as you can get, seriously. Wow. And it really, it actually, Zardoz reminded me of that, maybe more than anything. But then there's also that fun one. It's called The Final Program, uh, a.k.a. Uh, the Last Days of Man on Earth. And it's a, an adaptation of a Michael Moorcock science fiction novel. He was one of those real far out guys. And he actually... Um, he worked with Hawkwind, this this author, Michael Moorcock. Mm-hmm. And I think he like narrates some of his insane gibberish in openings in of Hawkwind songs. songs. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so the final program, aka the man who fell to earth, or the man who um last days of man on earth, is uh is is really the sister of Zardoz. There's even similar themes and it's really wild, but it's funnier and it's sprite spriter. And has zippier editing and it's generally a zippier film still not that great but anyway i'm just saying that um that's 1973 you know it's like this 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 was it this was a very strange short window uh where you could actually have a zardoz um nothing before yeah. that nothing in 1961 <laughs> nothing in 1981. Right. so uh so it's that's kind of like, cool reminded me of like um uh the prisoner too a little bit you know that, that totally. was on tv like uh it's like 68 or something, right? So it's like acid, mm-hmm. kind of psych- surreal, psychedelic spy yeah. on TV. That's awesome. so crazy. And some of it feels like Zardoz, too, with like the giant plastic bags and like yeah. English countryside. And, and just like that um, um, interest. Orange in, alert. You know what I mean? Interest in England as like a as a culture. You know what I mean? Like that there was like uh, swing in London and pe- people's heads were sort of interested in like English still, you know. Like, yeah, um, Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, Beatles, yeah. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, no, so, so. Well, anyway, so that that puts it into this cultural context. Um, we're in a way looking now at Zardoz. It makes more quote unquote sense that it would be conceived and most importantly financed and and at least received. It wasn't really a big box office film, and the critics mostly just laughed it off. You know, it was kind of like uh, dismissive. Um, and I think uh, he gave him a lot of fodder to kind of laugh it off. Uh, there's high sure pre. I think. I know. Well, because it's like almost the, the worst prescription ever uh, to just, you know, be pants down and embarrassing is, um, you know, is like to. The costumes. Uh, yeah, the costumes. Oh, you know, maybe that, a little bit of that. The red diaper. No, but I'm saying like um, what the critics have then. I read a Pauline Kale's review recently, very dismissive. Uh, and, and anyway, it's just like, I think the formula is if you, if you have, you either, okay. If you don't have any sense of humor, this stuff really doesn't quite work because it's so stiff mm-hmm. and um, and it has no frame of reference to normal human behavior because it isn't normal human behavior. It's not 1974 behavior or our kind of behavior, which is basically 1974, like human speech and, and communication is so stilted and odd because it's supposed to be some other time and place. And so, which is fine, but I think y- you have to, um, you have to kind of figure out how to crack through that and have a little bit of a wiggle in it, uh, if that makes any sense. And well, Star Wars wow. is very funny, you know. And I think humor here is very lacking. But uh, so it's so it's kind of like a, a boring professor is trying to you know give this long you know oratory to a class, and um, he just comes off so, so like such a stiff 
and um, you know, and someone who like maybe cracks a joke in, among the students, and he's like not even going to crack a smile. It's just too uptight. Right, right. And, um, Everything, and, and, and like even Sean Connery's like performance, I think it's a little bit, takes some of the responsibility there too. Cause he's supposed to be this like force of vitality. That's like changing the society. And, but even he's so stunted and like, and emotionless too. And like, he doesn't bring that vitality in his performance. Like he's he looks also, very manly. But he's I, no charm. And he's, and it's fucking Sean Connery. And he's right. also, yeah, seriously. Amazing. And, and, that's amazing. <laughs> Wow. It's a bizarre. It's a bizarre choice for a leading hero as well as a guy who's a fucking murderer and a rapist in a diaper. You know, is a weird choice for that. And especially, you know, I mean, you know, he's supposed to be this like kind of action hero uh, guy. And and what's interesting, obviously, everyone talks about it when they talk about the casting of this film, is that you know, <clears throat> Sean Connery's in this in between stage. He's coming out of all the you know his his last James Bond flick and he and he wants to do something different he wants to show the range of what he can do right and this is right. why i'm not just james bond yeah but this is still kind of this action hero thing there's even a shot where he you know fires the gun at the lens and everything in that trailer we just yeah. saw it you know and so you see that um but it is it is such an interesting choice but of course we have to mention that uh oh, yeah. what was supposed to happen uh was off of the success of deliverance john borman was going to put burt reynolds in that diaper, which I would love to have seen, but it's funny. I could totally see it. Me too. He's even more of a charming, wise-ass guy, so yeah. he would have to tamper that down too, or he wouldn't. Borman wouldn't let him be the usual Burt Reynolds. I could see it would, people wanting yeah. to consume his sweat more so than Sean Connery's. Let me just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> oh, but it is but women loved Sean Connery back then. Oh, women yeah. really loved Sean Connery. Oh, I, oh yes, really. It's like a sex symbol for, up into his like. Burt like, Reynolds would have been like a boob to like uh, a lot of cool, sophisticated women. Right. You know? Sean Connery <laughs> they loved. Like, Sean yeah, Connery. he's such a sex symbol. That's what's so weird. I mean, it's like he's. I wonder if the costumes they must have played a little bit differently back in the seventies. You know, like how basketball shorts were shorter in the seventies, but they look kind of laugh. Like we kind of look at them now, and they look silly to us. But I mean, part of it is like looking back on it. It's hard for us to like look at his outfit and say that it's that it looks good because his physique. It's not. He's not actually out of shape. He's like forty three or forty four when he's making this movie. He's wow. not quite out of shape, but he's not like. Um, He's not actually. It's just hard to look at it in a post-Rambo world. He's not cut. Yeah. You know, he's not. Yeah, real. that's not a fault of the film or him, though. It's like no, that's what I'm saying. Think about six packs. Back back on, if it's just like uh, looking back on it, like 30 years, that's it. You know, his, his the way he looks probably played a little bit better in the 70s than it does. Today. A little bit, but it still looked like a red diaper. People were mentioning diaper. I was reading in 1974. I was reading diaper. But it was a little too thing. silly. <clears throat> it's too silly. But what is funny to us now, knowing that he wanted Burt Reynolds in that role, is how we kind of makes sean connery look like burt reynolds you know with the mustache and everything mustache yeah so he really wanted he really wanted him for this but he didn't i want him. we all want burt yeah we all want him yeah we want yeah. Burt. and um, and and um, i think if borman didn't rein him in uh burt could have been pretty charming in a lot of those scenes you know where he interacts with uh these uh, the other incredibly stiff actors the um, charlotte rampling and that other woman that's brutal i mean i'm feeling a little rambly here like there's a lot kind of going on we haven't played a clip yet either so oh, i mean other than the yeah. trailer that's okay. Um, but uh, yes, it was going to be Bert. How about that? So um, also, also, I think for at least audiences then, they found it really off-putting to watch James Bond uh, in his goofy outfit, but also his behavior and you know just a real head-scratching kind of role that he's in. Like because uh, he's you know honestly his role as Zed is um, that's you know that's maybe not the entry point to the, the get tried addressing the confusion of this script which I think is really lacking. Borman's script is, is a really major problem in, in, in my rewatching of it. But like, so now Zed is supposed to be like the chosen one. Like he's supposed to be, he's genetically designed to be incredibly superior even to the Eternals. But it's weird because he has never known that. Uh, he was just a brute and an exterminator. So it's just that all kind of like, like he needed to be enlightened. I mean, I guess these are stimulating thoughts, but it, what I'm saying is it's not, his character is all I'm saying. It's not imparted well for me to work with. You know what I'm saying? I got you. You know, but one thing. Yeah. No, totally. Let's let's just uh, shift uh, gears slightly to. Um, I think Zardoz, a, a big theme of even th this episode, is that there's a lot of promise. You know, there's a lot of promise mm -hmm. coming out of Deliverance going into this movie, and mm -hmm. um, just you know, 
this is 1974 is the time for a freak big freak out sci-fi film um and the film fucking delivers in that first five minutes um so Absolutely, i just want yeah. to spend some time talking about that because right out of the okay. gate you know you see these incredibly beautiful shots of you know uh, i guess these aerial model shots they're doing with that fucking head floating uh in, in the sky with the clouds and everything as it lands down and then of so, course you know you're, you're seeing all these guys with the, the helmets on and everything and they're rushing toward it and then um you know something straight out of a fucking you know Jodorowsky film and you even mentioned at the end of last week's episode that it hints at some Jodorowsky's Dune uh sort of yeah. uh, moments I think when you, you see that head fucking regurgitating guns you know out to these people i mean that's a pretty fantastic it's a great image yeah yeah (laughs) and then and then and then i gotta say let's take a look at it but i think sometimes with a a film that opens with such promise uh then when it's it doesn't uh, keep that aloft the energy and and, you know and the excitement boy it fucking dies like worse than a slow film you know because this film really drags almost immediately after when Zed, when Connery's, you know, goes and penetrates the vortex and he's suddenly wandering around like radish patches, you know, it's like, I don't know. Like, yeah, <laughs> radish patches. It, whatever, you know, it's like, it doesn't, there was a huge problem in the following scenes. And uh, that's a bad script. And here's my other, here's my one-two punch with, I think, really what's wrong with this film. Uh, the script needed work with another set of eyes or two. And uh, the editing is really draggy and sluggish. And all this great imagery could have come in. There's so many times, because I was actually cutting up these clips we're looking at, and I'm not saying I would do a good job. I'm just saying, like, I could just see someone else taking a look at the edit and going, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in, bring it in. And you keep cinematic momentum and pacing. And, and I think one of the problems is, I'm figuring it out, is that like these gorgeous shots here that you could look at for a long time, I think Borman fell in love with this film, which is maybe a drug influence thing. And I think like that movie Silent Running, for instance, which is awful. Another pacing's one, yeah. awful. Yeah. It's awful pacing. No, but what I'm saying is like sometimes these filmmakers get so in love with the visual composition and creation they've made, you know, and they're so they're so into it that they um, they can't let go of it. They can't think, well, maybe like one minute of this incredible composition is good. We don't need three, you know. Yeah. And I think there's something going on there. That's what I was thinking about the in terms of when I was talking about the budget was because there are great visual ideas, and I, but I feel like may, the film is just barely like a feature, like runtime wise. And I, I felt know. like so what he done? mentions, you know, Borman did mention that he said too he thought it was too ambitious, differently. Money. And I think maybe that's part of it too is like instead of he wasn't able to do that much, so he just he let it. He just uh, let those scenes run really long so he could have a whole full movie. You know, that's kind of what it felt like to me. Maybe. But I think it's I, part I, of I it. Lot of those ideas, um, a lot of the visual ideas are really great. There's like every, you know, and at the beginning, at the end, there are lots of great visual things projecting onto statues or mm-hmm. shooting things in reverse. And it felt kind of like sometimes people make movies like this today where it's like a music video director or someone who's like really visual will make a movie. And it's just like, uh, it's Beyond just the black rainbow video stuck together. And it's totally. like oh, the really bullshit kind of like a uh, too philosophical script you know this felt like the urtext for that that kind of movie you're so right and and like and actually one of the big problems i have with modern film is that they do get obsessed with um the look the style the composition like nick reffin or something i'm not even saying i like his stuff at all but i'm just saying that like it, it gets so uh dazzled by you know how pretty things can look inside the frame and, and they're like oh a script Right, you know, yeah. and there's scripts are just scripts are treated like dog shit with aesthetically um, powerful films, and, and for years, and maybe you're right. This is maybe the uber text of um, of that style because the script, the the visuals cannot be sustained with that script. It's too, it's on like you know pegs. It's it's just not. It doesn't have a good foundation because you don't know or care about any of these characters, even in their broad. Uh, philosophical representational selves you know like it's too garbled a message um like even a symbolic straw men and women kind of characters it's just like uh sometimes it's just like i'm looking at people talking in a room it's like oh, yeah. the room looks cool but i'm like huh right and the, and the visuals are cool but they're not like they're not done well enough to sustain an entire film exactly right? they're not enough exactly. to carry it through and and, there, and there's like a lot of he's trying to do something really heady to gotta have a script 
it's almost like too it's uh we talked about this like it's too it's too smart and too dumb at the same time right like it's <laughs> yeah. like uh yeah it, it, he's trying to do too well, many it's ideas being dumb. Like, i'm gonna critique politics and religion and i know well it's being dumb about happy. smart yeah. yeah yeah right being dumb about smart that's right right yeah. totally yeah. Let, and that's 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 maybe what's the most unique thing about it it's like yeah it's, well the, and I, it kind of just, just um yeah go ahead please okay thank you spray where's that fucking spray bottle um so the thing is uh i think about it is uh you know um looking at the movie like you know again hadn't seen it in over 10 years a lot of imagery did stick in my mind though you know um especially like going back and watching the trailer before i rewatched it again and seeing the imagery of the tabernacle you know and seeing the imagery uh like with all the bodies encased in the glass i mean that shit's fucking dope um and and and, and the floating head you know all that stuff it, it is iconic even in the fact that this movie never was part of any iconography you know it has those yeah. imagery like it has those images that yeah. stick with you yeah. you know um yeah. in in a, in a minute in a major way and, and one thing i want to segue to because i think we should talk about the script and the plot and the story elements because it's very confusing <clears throat> it's hard to follow i think it does that other thing that i can't you know i don't want a film to always hold my hand <clears throat> but the movie this movie feels like it's 20 steps ahead of its audience member at every scene you know where where you're all retroactively you know i i, I think on every viewing of this movie you you might learn more about the plot but while you're watching it so many of the elements that he's trying to get across in this movie uh, are, are 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 lost while you're trying to watch it actually going through and totally. watching the film while thumbing through wikipedia might actually be the only way you can unlock what this movie is about um at 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 some junctures but i think let's just talk a little bit about the the plot setup because then i do want to you know um because you know for those who aren't going to take the zardoz trip with us uh you know into watching the full film but i think it's worth talking about some of the themes in the movie because i think there's pretty interesting themes in the movie um so anyway, Zardoz. Uh, it's year. Uh, it, it is the year twenty two ninety three. I'm cool with that. Um, um, but uh, <laughs> it is a post apocalyptic world, which is a matriarchal society, um, which is interesting. And Sean Connery and his crew are are the are considered the brutals. Okay, they're the barbarians who worship the flying stone head god Zardoz, and uh, that head has the power to grant death. Um, or uh, you know, uh, eternal life, which is dope. That's cool. I, I'm, I'm if I may, that. he's actually one of the executioners that are control that are like part of the. See, it's too complex. There's too I many. Know. Th too it, many groups. He's, he's, groups, he's thinning but, uh, the herd of the, the uh, farmers who are making harvests for the eternals. Apathetics. <laughs> oh, the and the eternals. <laughs> Sorry. There's, yeah, I hate this. My head hurts. <laughs> I don't like this. Well, the Keep thing going. is, yeah. So, all right. So, they, they are farmers, but there's the executioners that killed the brutals. Okay, we got that. And the brutals live in a wasteland right. called the Outlands, uh, to be a future Sean Connery vehicle later on. Um, and uh, the their their overlords are the Eternals. Um, who luxuriate in a different zone of this land behind a uh, force field, which is called the Vortex. This is insane. Um, now, the Eternals created Zardoz, the stone head, to rule over the Brutals, um, and I guess they sort of inspire the, the Brutals or the Executioners to commit mass murder to keep the other ones in line or, what you know, whatever. Like, um, th they uh, control the sheeple. Right. Of the outland. Right, right. But Zed, right. Sean Connery, as you said, is the chosen one who doesn't accept this fate, uh, you know, being under the control of the Zardoz god. And so he embarks on a journey, uh, which is cool. I like this. This feels very comic book to me, which I think this movie also feels very mid-70s comic book. And my, might I yeah. add, when I was reminded about the Eternals, I thought about the fucking Eternals, you know, which is... Hey. Uh, you know, fucking Jack Kirby's uh, one of his, you know, great series. And this even looks like the fucking Zardoz head. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, but then it's a really cool scene where he climbs into the head. He wakes up in the head. I'm down with that. And then he's kind of set on this great. journey. I just wish the vortex looked cooler. I wish the what's on the other side of that journey was that's a little budget. That's part of the budgetary thing. Yeah, it's like just shut on like an Engl like Irish farm. An old Irish farmhouse, kind of, is and they setting? just added like plastic inflatables, the, in, yeah. in like yeah. the, you know, in front of the, the sheep. The or whatever. Inflatables, yeah. Oh god, 
Yeah, there's that there's a weird moment that's like he punches through a plastic bag and they're like he's he like trying it. to force through like he, he's he's trapped inside this balloon thing and he punches through and they're like oh, it can't be done but the whole time you're going like it's just a plastic bag that anyone could yeah, I know. tear through they're that not selling the illusion well, but, but the material like, is in oh, Zardoz land sure you know, I just kind of felt like but I just like as an audience like the the illusion wasn't sold I know. So it I took me away like from it like, I felt like that was kind of like uh, just a, in the movie, the, like a little microcosm of the movie for a second. I know there, which because just, the plastic selling cause, it because the plastic being used in that shot is behaving like plastic. But, right, right. but they're telling you like, no, it's not plastic. It's I something know. much. I know deeper. you're good. Good call. <laughs> That one caught my eye, like, <laughs> like, like yeah. you know, I vote no. It's not like how you feel like okay. it's not. <laughs> but thank let's, you, let's, Roger. Let's let's it is, yeah. But but you know, so 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 let's. That's kind of the basic premise for this. You know, uh, Zed is going to go on and sort of expose, you know, uh, allegedly what's going on in the vortex with this other society, right? He wants then, the truth. Yeah, he wants the truth. Quoting um, him. Yeah, exactly. So, but that's kind of the the the. The setup is you have these interesting compartmentalized societies within this far future world. Um, I'm kind of down for that, but Tom, you 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 sort of were having some interesting, you know, thoughts on allegories yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's maybe pivot to uh, you know what we do like about Zardoz because this is sort of a complex uh, one fucking hour. You know, it's 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 going to go places. So I, re I, I, what I really liked is um, this uh, representation, uh, an abstract representation, a symbolic representation of what is very, very common on a global scale then, now. Um, I don't know if it's getting worse or it's mutating and becoming different, but I would, I would say that the elites as represented in the film, are, or well, excuse me, their eternals are, are representatives of the elites class. Now you could, you could have this be micro, and be, you know, New York City or uh, Silver Lake in Los Angeles, you know, like Silver Lake in Los Angeles, where I am right now, is like uh, full of elite assholes, you know, and they're surrounded by people who scrub toilets, security guards, you know, and a lot of that was exposed in COVID. Well, no, but just even just workers, you know, like, um, so like, so, and, and, and that's even getting into like the COVID era, you know, like essential workers, like, like a bus driver, you know, so a bus driver is outside the bubble in Zardoz, and um, and they're fed a bunch of bullshit, which conservatives say, you know, is like, uh, you know, the Soros brothers and all or Soros and all that shit. And uh, but then a liberal might say is, um, you know, uh, QAnon and all that stuff. So it's like all everyone always assumes that the, the masses, the workers of the world are always needing to be herded by groupthink by these um, cynical overlords. That's a very classic theme. And there's there's definitely some truth to that. So it's cool that Zardoz does that in a very cool looking abstract sense. But what I'm saying is you could have a Silver Lake, a Williamsburg microcosm. You could also have a macrocosm and just go, everyone in America is doing better than like everyone in Afghanistan. So this winter, 9 million kids might die. Like, just like not, we're on the same planet, but all of us are like, you know, watching Netflix, going to Jamba Juice and, you know, <laughs> jumping rope. Marcus likes to do that, you know. So um, what I'm saying is it's kind of grotesque. And I like that the film represents that. I feel terrible. You know what I mean? Like, like not just class, you know, in, in like a, in a nation, right. but the West right. and the West in the third world. And that's what I see. And there's a great shot in the film. It's a beautiful re visual representation. If you could uh, thread that yeah. up, yeah. Uh, Evan, it's so good to see um, the have nots. And it's very ice cold. And it's funny because it's this footage is narrated and she's explaining kind of generally what's happening to, happened to Zed, uh, the situation leading up to the, the situation they're in now. And like she's, she says this one line that's very cool. She says, in order for us to tolerate, I'm paraphrasing, to tolerate all these faces of um, people that can see us and we can see them, to tolerate their starving faces right here, we had to get colder hearts, you know? Mm. And I think that's a great thing that Borman was like playing with and chewing on in an in, in incredible visual sense, uh, you know, these kind of complex issues. So that's something I like about the film. Those like, cast, right the, the cast here I read was played by like basically Irish kind of, I mean, Borman calls them gypsies in the, uh, not sure if that, that's probably not exactly what they are, but they're like sort of Irish traveling class that's like mm -hmm. basically like, a, like the migrate migratory workers in ireland that's who they're yeah they're probably illiterate you know and and comparatively though the eternals 
you know, inside there have the, the knowledge of Aristotle to, you know, Dostoevsky and the art of Picasso all in that bubble. And boy, that just, that kind of kills me. I like that he created a world in his future because, uh, you know, that, that, that is a stark representation of really what's very common here. And, um, and then of course, there's resentment. They get angry later. They're begging outside the bubble and they start getting angry, you know? And if you look, there's a thread, Zed Connery, uh, right to the end is saying, uh, like his motive to destroy the vortex, that inner bubble is revenge, revenge, you know? <laughs> and it's so badass. And all those, all his buddies who are killing all those people, yes, the Eternals want to finally die. So they're gleeful, like, please shoot me. But, uh, you know, there's a double thrill here. Like the Eternal people want to die, but boy, those executioners are like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm dropping this fool right here. You know, like, and that's uh, that's pretty weird. I like that. I, that's, that's a very head trip. Yeah, that's it. We could thread that up too, just as we're talking, like um, the uh, the weird massacre at the end, because because uh, there is a there is a, um, a dual satisfaction. I think is the term I'm trying to think of. You know, um, where uh, finally the bubble is. Uh, is, is that this is, one? No, no, it's okay. um, massacre is the word in there somewhere. Uh, okay. Sorry, everybody. Um, oh, I have the word it. massacre is in the line. No, please. You don't have me. it. Please kill me. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, Connery's character has set it up so that these poor, um, you know, different groups, subgroups of the Eternals uh, can have what they finally wanted, which is to die. And I think one thing that Borman, at least he says he wanted to play with that was, um, you know, people seem to want to live at least longer, if not eternally. Like we don't want to die when we're 80. Right. And so um, he's playing with that. That what if science did catch up to that concept and that wish and actually people do live eternally and what kind of mutated things happen to a society. And I think there's another big general theme, which I like being represented in Zardoz. A lot of things in this film that are never represented otherwise. And one of them is simply uh, technology uh, getting ahead of people. And I think that's a very modern 2022 yeah. uh, thing too. Like, mm -hmm. like, like we are advancing so far with technology, but our stupid brains, our cave person brains, are not even beginning to be equipped with it, and it's still there. And in a way, and this is what's confusing about the film, but Zed is representing kind of the, 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 the primitive human, you know, the cave person, uh, but he's also this, you know, exceptional, rare, genetically engineered thing. But like, um, what I'm saying is, um, there's a nice theme going on where, uh, where is all this technological advancement going? And, and can human beings handle it and all the strange, unexpected mutations that do occur? Boy, we're there now, you know, like we're, we're in a weird place as, as a species oh. right now oh because of technology. The immortal stuff, uh, like I was saying, it's like the, the, that same question of like, what would the what would it be going through in an immortal person's mind that they that they actually envy the mortal people like they actually crave death i bet they would because like, uh, mortal people want to live forever and immortal people want to die so that's that's the uh, that's the part from tolkien that must have stuck in his his mind yeah you and know. it's it's no totally and but that that's that is a really cool set piece for this movie i wish it was coming across clearer because the idea mm -hmm. of like these people just want to fucking kill the eternals but the eternals also want to die you know and be more right. human at the same time is kind of yeah that is pretty freaking you know that, that that is cool and leads to a weird scene of people like i'm gonna fucking kill you but then they're like yes kill me. they're like you know? hallelujah i know yeah. it's very odd and if i might i just kind of do too much at the same time because there's that and there's the class warfare thing going on you know and there's the religion you know there's just like it's just too much and what, there's also this sort of critique of like uh, uh, liberal sort of like uh, 60s stuff because they're like the the effete upper class. They have sort of like a commune intentional living type vibe where they're like uh, they meditate and, you know, they're like an overly democratic society and they're yeah, this up on living that. and it's called, you know, it's this vague new ageiness to everything that they live in a vortex, you know, so like there's all this sort of like veiled, not so veiled critique of like kind of like uh I guess like a new agey hippie type culture, you know. Absolutely, and which is also rare, especially for being within the era still, you know, 1973, 74. And like, um, well, one thing that really caught my eye is what you just said, which is like uh, overly democratic somewhat, which sounds 
like a bad thing. It sounds weird, but like um, you know, like everyone, I, I often uh, tune into those conventions that the uh, Democratic Socialists have. You know, those like biannual meetings. And um, they have insane rules and they have like, can I raise my hand to propose that I raise my hand? You know, that kind of thing. You guys, I don't know if you've yeah, ever seen that stuff. Clip of what, yeah, they can't get the meeting going because there's a lot of people complaining yeah. about the about the orders and the step, the rules, basically. So they never. Yeah. And so. Right. And so there's a lot of that happening. And I think there's probably just as much happening 50 years ago because. 50 years ago is a lot like right now, as far as um, the left wing generally and where their heads are at and, and how they uh, operate. And so I th he's probably observing a lot of that, like process, endless pain in the ass process. Uh, so I found that kind of interesting, but I think if we can thread this up too, which is the uh, uh, psychic violence, I think there was an interesting, this was actually, uh, and I'm not the only one pointing this out. There's a guy on trial for thought crimes essentially. And I thought that there was something here in terms of like, uh, a modern critique maybe could be had uh, in, in, and, and you could reference this of um, uh, people who are not following in line with the group think uh, of the right or the left, you know, um, but especially right now on the left, uh, people are in fear of speaking their minds um, if it doesn't fit the uh, the cultural paradigm. So here's what happens to this guy in George in Satan, accused of transmitting a negative aura in second level. This is not so. I have studied our social, emotional substructures for 140 years. These thoughts are constructive criticisms, pyramidical. I am innocent of psychic violence. As you examine my face and eyes, you will see that this is true. He's lying. So that's that trial, you know, and uh, yeah. I don't want to get into the whole thing because what I really hate is um, those kind of criticisms, uh, criticisms are fodder for like Fox News and ONA and all that stuff. And I, I really hate that, actually, am, yeah. because uh, it's too easy to uh, make into a cartoon um when a lot of people are trying to just do the right thing you know so but what i'm saying is forgetting all the politics now and everything it's just uh what happens to a social group that maybe um has mutated in some strange way the eternals and you know what we could have a long conversation about this because it is interesting he's saying that there's a rot that happens when number one they, they live for hundreds of years but also they don't have to work like they're a victim of their own success, like I was saying before. Technologically, they don't really have to do anything. And uh, they just actually start mutating their minds into uh, like like pointing out that someone committed psychic violence, but there's no real consequence. Like, why is he on trial? What did he do wrong exactly? You know what I mean? I think there's something interesting that Borman wanted to play with, which is the, um, the rot. There's also the apathetics. There's a whole group of people who say, basically sound, yeah, and I'll just, statement, I'll shut up. It's just like, they sound to me like, People now on pills playing video games all day. Please elaborate. No, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that must be you, Evan. Uh, no, uh, the thing is, you know, I think no, what's no. interesting. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, the thing, I, I think that's also a cool thing that he was playing with, where the ideas are kind of connecting in this movie uh, between, you know, what he's playing with, you know, in 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 the social sense. The idea is that when you are misbehaving or you do, you are doing things that are not following the rules the idea that the Eternals will punish each other by aging them. And it's kind of a yeah. simulation of aging because it's, it's, it's really that you will be aged, you know, maybe, you know, 20 years or even more, but you'll have to perpetually but you, stay. But you won't die. But you won't die, but you'll stay old. And that's kind of like an, an interesting right. punishment. Um, you'll eternally then, be elderly. Right, eternally be elderly. That's a cool sci-fi concept, actually. Absolutely. You know? Totally. Yeah, like that's a great Look, idea. there's a better <laughs> film here. There's a better Zardoz. There that is. might be my. That I'm might not be my, the my execution of the of the apathetics. Though it's a bunch of old people in like a foiled room. That's one of the visuals I don't like. Is when they go. To, it's kind of like a dinner party ballroom. They're not the like apathetics. Old. Oh, oh, that's right. Sorry, no, that's, a, yeah. that's another class. The apathetics the are young. 
Yeah, because this movie's a fucking mess. You got confused. (laughs) There's too many groups, too many groups. But one thing that's also... The renegades. Yeah, the apathetics. Yeah, the apathetics, right. He's he's supposed to be waking them up with his vitality. I remember Mormon saying that. And like, he's just like completely just like, you know, Sean Connery's performance, they're rigid. But as soon as he walks in there, they're all like drawn to his magic. No, no, they... um, He has an aura, but also just like... It's all symbolic, you know. It's almost like biblical, and I right. think even I'm saying it just says um, not, not sold by the filmmaking is all I'm saying. Right, the performance and stuff. That, but but yeah. I mean, like it's um, like he sweats. We don't sweat inside this bubble because we don't have to. Right. But this guy sweats, who's like more salt of the earth, like the way human beings used to fucking be. You know, like like this is, or more actually importantly, biologically, this is what we're we're not supposed to be like this. We're not supposed to be in these ivory towers in these bubbles uh, totally cushioned and cocooned because, and, and here's the mutations that will happen. And the, I think the apathetics, he did a good job with that one because that actually, totally. I see the, I see the corollary or more the thread. And actually I see some, some relation to right now because yeah. people who don't have to, we, we, the three of us are not in the food chain, you know, like Louis CK had a whole bit about this, but like, we're not in the food chain. We don't have to really fear being eaten. And we, when we make our food guys, are we killing things and or even harvesting? We're not doing anything. So it's like when you make a, 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 a such convenience uh, in, in a Western society, it starts mutating and people start doping out and doing just knuckleheaded things or just playing video games constantly, which is, um, you know, metaverse. You know, it's just like you're not on Earth anymore because you're not and, connected yeah, to the I roots. See- it's funny because I, I see what you're saying. I, I see them more as more of like an upper class type thing, and like, and I and I totally see where you're coming from with that. I think it's really interesting. But I'm seeing that like uh, one of the things I read was IDing that the uh, and I didn't come up with this, but they were IDing the Eternals as like landed the landed gentry class in England that just were like land landowners basically who just didn't have to work because they could just live off of like the rent coming in from other places and that they were higher up in society, almost like up to the, the lordships, but they were just sort of like the emerging class of like landowners that were, I don't know. I, I don't have a good, I'm not English. So I don't have a good, like a, you know, a right. point of reference for this historical class, but I can, I can see where that's like, a, it's a little bit slo- a little bit more like a higher upper class than just like, you know, um, yeah, us who actually do have to work. We don't. We don't like work toil in the fields, but yeah, Marcus, I'm saying it's all relative. And forgetting the source of his conception or even Zardas for a moment, it's a it's a fact. We can read, <laughs> like the three of us can read, and there. I think there's more people who can't read on Earth than can. Just I could. We could do this all day. You know, like so, like it's just, it's rough out there for most human beings alive. You know. I'm not disagreeing um, with you. I'm just saying, like, I'm just talking about the different, like, interpretations and different, like, visual, uh, different, like, those levels, like, of all this, yeah, you know. Exactly. That's what. That's what I'm. Sure. Tuning to. All right. Yeah. So, but he, yeah. but I'm going with Borman because he's he's very high minded. That's all I was getting. <laughs> that's all. I'm done. I like <laughs> Dr. Evan. Uh, I was just trying to jut in with a good segue here, and you know, I was I really wanted to segue out of the segue, segue the the, the 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 concept of the metaverse when you're talking about video gaming, and just kind of the yeah. idea of the tabernacle. I think is a quite interesting set piece here. Not only visually Dude, does it look really cool, um, I love the tabernacle scene. I know tabernacle scene is fucking awesome. Um, Dread it up, bro. Do you, uh, w- which tabernacle scene do you have? Do you have? Well, one? let's see. Yeah, I didn't call them tabernacle. My apologies. It's a mirror. Is in place of tabernacle. So there's um, Zed in mirrors. Right. You can thread that up, and then there's mirror freakout too, if we wanted to. But this is yeah. this is a good one. This is a good one. Well, the, so, the one uh, thing I want well, to this say is getting about- this is this might be the most holy mountain moment of the film. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it's it's absolutely yeah, just visually amazing. But I think the cool thing about the the. Uh, tabernacle is that it is you know this artificial intelligence machine that is the thing that's keeping everyone eternally alive and protected from death you know and that's Mm -hmm. also another cool sci-fi element that this thing has which i think is kind of you know ahead of its time in some ways and um i don't know i I just think it's worth talking about because it is kind of you kind of id that this movie has a matrix quality to it too a little bit and Mm -hmm. was that what you were vibing on in terms of just like the tabernacle or more so just with uh, not the, the tabernacle, bubbles. but actually the matrix did come to mind. Not the bubbles either. Actually, this is a 
See, this, this, there's a lot to chew on in this film. It just doesn't really add up, you know, but like it is, it is stimulating. But no, for me, The Matrix was about um, who is behind the mask or who is uh, behind the, uh, oh, the yeah. levers or who's, who's pulling the levers. So it's like, I actually haven't seen The Matrix in forever, but I, if I'm not wrong, it's generally about like um, your mind is blown because you've seen that um, the simulation of uh, normal reality is actually just this projection that uh, is is it's a hallucination, and it's and actually you're what you're really doing is a very different exercise, and you're just given this hallucinatory state of mind to be tripped out to um, uh, you know service. Uh, there's these mysterious overlords that you don't know and you don't see, and I think that there's there's a that's another thing that Borman's playing with in the whole thing about his revelation about finding the Wizard of Oz book. And, and of course, it relates to the Wizard of Oz, where he pulled, don't look at the man behind the curtain, right? You know, at the end of the film, Wizard of Oz, you know, it's like, he's not the great and powerful Oz. He's this weird guy who has all this technology. So yeah, so I was just thinking of the Matrix because his mind is blown. And uh, I don't know if Zio, what's his name, Neo? Neo, excuse me, sorry. Yeah. Uh, like, um, I think he kind of, it, there's like a crack in the Matrix. And I, I think this moment is like a crack in the Zardoz simulation and you know what I mean? Because he, I don't know if he was intended to seize that book title. He's hyper intelligent. He'd read every book in that library that the Zardoz yeah. creator, uh, you know, uh, fit, led him to and yep. led, led him to read. But I think maybe, I'm not sure. Weird Borman stuff, stimulating. It's like he might not have, he might have forgotten that the, the, the source of the title, the name, the moniker, Zardoz, is in like, oh, fuck, right. It's from the Wizard of Oz. And that book is in there. And Connery's character wound up finally finding that and it just cracked his brain and it made him go like, you know, that, that kind of that zoom out, zoom in shot, like, yeah. and, and everything is, everything is different now. And he sees everything differently. And he realizes that there's like this strange higher power that's controlling him and everything else. Yeah. That's kind of dope. The yeah. next 74. <laughs> totally. Now that we're and getting the to uh, another movie series that was sort of like ruined by too many packing, too many ideas into, uh, yeah, it's true. I, totally. I, I, just one last thing about the Wizard of Oz too. It's like just like where his head was at. Like, um, you know, it was when I was reading about him how he wrote. Like Borman, like got together with the dude to write the Lord of the Rings script, and then he was really tweaking on like um, he did weird things like change it up to where like Frodo has sex with Galadriel and stuff. But but he was saying that he was really vibing the most on Gandalf, of course. And then this is the Wizard of Oz, and then he does. He really yeah. then he did Merlin later with Excalibur. They mentioned right. in this movie, like right. he's like all over wizards. He's got wizards on the brain, you know. Yeah. All right, you yeah. are a big. We, we we got you. You're the big Lord of the Rings fan. Uh, because <laughs> yeah, you could have been making all that up. I don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly. I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. God bless uh, you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, God bless you, sir. <laughs> um, but now now that we're sub four minutes, guys, I really gotta I gotta be just tough on you two because I do want to get some of the sillier shit in that's from the film. Let's talk about, we talked about some great stuff. Let's talk about some silly shit. Because right off yeah. the bat here, um, man, there's a lot we didn't touch, guys. Uh, talk to the, me, talk to me. The, uh, we got uh, Kiss the Bride. Hey, here we go. It's, it's the 70s. That's, all you, that's the only explanation. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, there is, a, there is an idea here. He's, he's, he's in disguise, so they don't find out it's him. But, but still, it just doesn't still. help. It's not helping Borman to take any of this yeah. shit seriously, you know. Well, but see, also, no, but that's the other thing. It's like, like I said before, my bumper sticker is, um, if this movie is a sense of humor, it's too obtuse for me. Like, was that so? How are we supposed to take that in? Because that is a humorous image, but it isn't part. It's not set up humorously, and just like, what is you know, like you know what I'm saying? Like, should we have? Should, can I laugh at this, John Borman? You know, I know, right, um, right, and and. One of the things that is really cool uh, that I did want to also get in is because I, I picked you, up on this during the reverse destruction. Well, not not reverse destruction, but I also picked oh. up on this. Like this is going to be in Tom's clip list, which is the touch teaching. That's just great. That's just gorgeous stuff. You know, They're learning yeah, by osmosis. It's very hip. Yeah, he's learning the sum of uh, Western civilization knowledge um, through this touch. Is like, uh, this is the one and it looks so cool. Sorry. Those music video moments, you know? Yeah, no, this is just like, um, yeah, some uh, dipshit music video directors like taking notes, like, yeah, oh, shit, man. 
this is, is like so the stuff's so well composed too like there's a moment where he's laying on the the ground and, and on his arm is like there's a nude like on his arm like a classical mm -hmm. nude and like just the way that everything is laid well, out heard, is so cool. i guess because they had time to do it you know 16 millimeter and yeah, yeah i heard yeah. uh that the guy uh, who did all these projections was uh i, I don't know his name but he, he worked on 2001 and did a bunch of, uh, you know, rear projection, oh. projection stuff. So they, 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 they brought him in from 2001. He also did stuff for Aliens as well. And Look at that. Look at that, guys. Oh, yeah. I know. So this guy is like super projection, you know, technician here and all the stuff that they're doing. Yeah, projecting They got, they got the guy. No, look yes. at that in like There's musical notes. And yeah. I like the musical notes and the text, you know, on the faces. It's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful like visual representation of the concept of absorbing the sum of all knowledge within like 10 minutes you know and projecting oh, yeah. nudes and yeah, look, look at there's, that there's all these great there's a lot of great visual moments in this movie there's probably like 10 different scenes that have just really great cool vibey 70s visuals you know Ooh, like reverse this? destruction my man yeah i love this them. is just great it's so it's so simple it's like the most simple uh Trick in the book, but it's like in the commentary, awesome. he had to point out how he did. It. I was watching the director's commentary, and he's like, "He did, of course, we you did know, this with the, by reversing we, the footage." We, we, <laughs> no shit, John Borman. We didn't uh, have cell phones. Yeah. Oh yeah, he does say that. Yeah. Well, that's just like crazy. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but we made this was before computers. <laughs> None of this yeah. is computer animation. All right, we well, just one minute. ran it backwards. We're just one minute. I just want to summarize the, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think we're all in agreement. Great ideas in Zardoz. Uh, you know, it, it's bogged down by an overzealous, overambitious follow-up to a hit film. But one thing I think that could really aid this movie, and I think you said it best, Tom, is better editor. Uh, I think having, a, yes. having an editor taking the same drugs John Borman was taking might have helped. Yeah. Um, and or just the people that did the visitor man, if they got the visitor crew in there <laughs> to fuck with Zardoz, yeah. I think we've seen a real yeah, hot, hot fuck. It'd be rip roaring. Yeah, it needs it yeah. needs to have an engine. Every movie needs an engine, you know. I, oh, Even like a Brisson film, it needs you know. It's just uh, it just doesn't have an. It just stalls out constantly, um, especially I, right in the beginning. Like I said, I gotta say, and and, uh, and a better script. Sorry, the middle's really soft and mushy. There's great music. I love the end. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Tom didn't let you have that one. All right. Uh everybody that you was got one. It. We're under the, We're under the gun. <laughs> it's fine. Hey, we did it. it. It was said that it couldn't be done. That no one <laughs> That's could right. They said hour. no one could talk about Zardas for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we and literally like we we literally were we we were be honest true we were texting uh, over the last couple of days being like can we do this is this gonna happen uh, but I think we were gonna we did cancel <laughs> we were gonna cancel and then we're fighting over it we were gonna call in sick <laughs> yeah yeah we were look it's uh, a mixed bag uh, it's a mixed bag Zardoz is very special and I like the ideas and the visuals it's just there's all this fat that needs to get cut away or reshaped it's just yeah that, it happens. Good. There, yeah. there, it happens. There are flawed films. There are flawed works of art, but they're of merit still. You know, yeah. it's kind of like this album. Sorry, this album. It's kind of like this movie has like fucking three killer tracks, and then it's like, ooh, the last song on side one. You know, like yeah, it's like that kind of yeah. somewhat. What is this fucking sixty-five minutes now? Yeah, I know. I was thinking the clock is over, my friend. <laughs> um, to talk about Zardoz yeah, anymore, bro. Zip it up. We can, we can chat. <laughs> okay, we can chat. I'm done. I'm wrapping it up. Just saying. I, that spray bottle. My is final thought. It's my Jerry Springer final thought. That's okay. cool. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Like it. No. Totally. I'm. I'm glad it exists, and uh, I'm glad we did it because it is a fascinating part of film history. It's a fascinating mm -hmm. follow-up, even though it's flawed and it's a flop. Uh, and it. It was the studio took a fucking bath on it. Um, I think it's a real uh, fascinating uh, piece of film history. But anyway, enough about Zardoz. We're out. Because we're moving on. Yeah, we're moving on up. Let's talk about next week, guys. Um, I'm excited because it's totally different. It's a different decade. We're getting out of the 70s. We're going into the yeah. 90s. And we're talking Good about point. a film that we all just recently happened to rewatch, uh, not even for homework, and just for pure uh, enjoyment. And man, I fucking yeah. love this movie, and I'm so excited to talk about it next week. Me too. And that is uh, the only film of this director. Wait, I drum roll. Okay. Okay. Well, say your piece, and then let's pause dramatically. Okay. Yeah. All right. I Okay, uh, I think he's the only film by this director that I think is uh, a good movie, a great movie, a great movie, and that I like. And that is 
Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill. Jackie Brown, motherfucker. So we're doing. Yay! I'm so excited. Uh, uh, No, really. And I agree with you. Evan, I'm right on the money with you. Like you had brought it up, then you'd rewatched it recently. And then I just threw it on a couple days ago. And I'd always liked it a lot, you know, but I hadn't seen it in forever. And man, it's uh, in the, in the, in his works, like I haven't been the biggest fan. I'm not like a super QT guy, frankly, but no. this is just killer. This is killer such stuff. good. <clears throat> and can I say, if I might, because I think it's on brand for tonight, uh, you talk about, you know, Zardoz being John Borman's Magnolia. Uh, this movie is the opposite of what a QT Magnolia would be because he comes hot off the heels of one of the most successful films of the, of the 1990s and makes a very contained, smart, uh, emotional, intimate film. Yeah. And, and it's a love story, too. You know, and it's beautifully composed, and re- and there's such restraint. You know, it's Can great. I start the fucking amazing, clock dude. right so, now. Yeah, right. Let's go. Let's do JB. <laughs> Fire it up. Let's go. But now, but now, but now. Strawberry, motherfucking goddamn. All right. Strawberry, So anyway, I love it. I mean, yeah. Next week, we're coming back strong. We're doing this over. Strong, strong reboot. Uh, we're doing uh, Jackie Brown next week. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about this movie. A lot to say. And our premise, Quentin's best by a mile. By a mile. By a fucking mile. And uh, Spray Bottle's coming back strong next week. Uh, all right, everybody. Really? Uh, yes, it is. Hard, hard. Uh, all right, all right. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed Zardoz. Uh, not the movie, but the one fucking hour. And uh, now it is time for your beautiful, wonderful moment of zen. And we'll see you all next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef.